Our Bible reading this morning is taken from uh, Titus chapter 1, uh, reading from verse 5. Titus chapter 1 and verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers, and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Amen. And we know God will always bless the reading of his own word. We remember in our study last week that Paul has been dealing with the subject of eldership. Now we introduced that subject by considering the office of elder. And we looked at the, the need for eldership, the plurality in eldership, the role of eldership. We looked at those two words, elder in verse 5 and overseer in verse 7. And then we finished up with uh, the attitude or our attitude to eldership. Now this morning I want to examine with you the qualifications for eldership. Now this is important for us for two reasons. First of all, elders are appointed by the church and we, if we are to appoint elders, need to know what the biblical requirement for eldership is. Secondly, all the qualifications listed here ought to be present in every Christian. We're told in verses 7 and 9 that an elder must have these things but all Christians should have these things. So as we go through the qualifications for eldership we ought to be not just thinking of elders or potential elders, we ought to be thinking of ourselves and asking ourselves are these things true of me? Because they ought to be true of you and ought to be true of every Christian. Now we're going to look at these qualifications under four headings, his public reputation, his domestic qualities, his personal character, and then lastly, his doctrinal ability. So first of all, his public reputation. You'll notice in verse six that Paul begins his list with uh, the, the words above reproach, blameless, says the AV and the NIV. He repeats that in verse seven, since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, Uh, He must be above reproach. Now that word reproach is a legal term, which means not uh, simply that you are acquitted for lack of evidence, but that there is an absence of charge in the first place. So it's not going to court and uh, having the case uh, thrown out uh, of uh, court, but it's that no charge is brought in the first place. Now, Paul is not speaking of sinless perfection here. That is a condition that will only be fully and finally realized in glory. But he is saying that there must be no glaring inconsistency in that individual that will bring the church and the gospel into disrepute. Do you remember what God said of Job? In Job chapter 1, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning from evil. 
What a testimony. God could hold Job up to Satan, uh, to Satan's scrutiny and say, this man is above reproach. He's blameless. Now, you know how unbelievers then will scrutinize Christians for inconsistency in their lives and particularly will do that when it comes to uh, ministers and elders in order to justify their unbelief. Don't give them an excuse, Paul says. Be blameless, be above reproach. He elaborates on that to Timothy and he says in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 7, he must have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. And so much disgrace has been brought to Christ's name and to Christ's church through the inconsistency of Christians. But that disgrace is multiplied and intensified when that inconsistency is found in the life of an elder or of a Christian pastor. So that's the first qualification, his public reputation above reproach. Secondly, notice his domestic qualities. Look at verse 6. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery and insubordination. The first thing Paul says uh, about an elder's home is that he has to have a stable marriage, the husband of one wife. Now, the Greek behind that phrase literally is a one-woman man or a one-woman husband. Now, most commentators think that that refers to the polygamous conditions of New Testament times, that an elder must only have one wife. But polygamy wasn't uh, such a great issue in either Greek society, Roman society, and certainly not in Jewish society. Um, the standard of being married to one woman and only one woman was required of all Christians. I think what uh, Paul is referring to here is a man's faithfulness to his wife. There's no definite article in Greek, and so it's not referring to his marital uh, status, but to his sexual behaviour that he has a lifelong commitment and unsullied devotion to his wife. You see, it's quite possible for a man to be the husband of one wife, but not to be a one-woman man. Uh, he may be married to one woman, but uh, be promiscuous with other women. This phrase, I think, speaks of sexual purity, of marital fidelity, of a stable family. Now, are you a one-woman man, or for that matter, a one-man woman, fully devoted, personally, practically, and sexually to your partner, to your legitimate husband or wife? That's the first requirement as far as his domestic qualities are concerned, a stable marriage. Secondly, disciplined uh, children. Look at verse 6. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. A man who cannot spiritually and morally lead his own family is not qualified to lead the church. 
That's the point that Paul makes in the parallel passage in 1 Timothy 3. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Now, this uh, phrase, his children are believers, has caused many elders and ministers with unbelieving children great heartache and um, prompted great heart searching. Does Paul mean that an elder's children must be believers? Well, the word can be translated as simply faithful, as the authorised version renders it, having faithful children. It's used like that in many places in the New Testament. Um, in Matthew 25, 21, uh, well done, good and faithful servant, says the master to the man who has multiplied his talents. He was a faithful servant who carried out his duties diligently. Well, I think that is proven in the, the text because the text goes on to say his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery and insubordination. Debauchery there refers to drunkenness or rioting as the authorised version has it. Insubordination means unruly, disobedient as the authorised version has it. Children who do not submit to parental authority. And although it would be wonderful if his children were believers, Paul is looking for God-fearing children who live under parental authority, who will not bring disgrace upon their father. And of course, this is the standard for all Christian fathers. He is the head of the home, and although he can never produce faith in his children, he can produce faithfulness, a respect for Christian standards, a submission to his authority, that they know that their father's word is final, that he cannot be manipulated and worked on in order that his standards uh, are, are lowered to fit in with theirs. So an elder domestically must have a stable marriage, a disciplined family, and then thirdly, an open home. If you look down to verse 8, we're told that he must be hospitable. Now, the, the word hospitable there is made up of two words, affection and stranger. Affection for strangers. Now, at the very least, that means that no one ought to be afraid to ring his doorbell, to send him a text, to ask for help. Probably what Paul has in mind is the entertaining of men like Titus and Timothy and Paul himself who would need accommodation as they travel from place to place and church to church. My hospitality is a great gift to make uh, someone feel at home in your home. Now, it doesn't have anything to do with one's ability to cook. My goodness, our Gail wouldn't qualify. But it has everything to do with making people feel part of your family. And, and just to be have an open home, to invite people around, to make people relax in your home and talk together about the things of God. That's, that's a great gift and it's a qualification for eldership. And a, a requirement indeed of every Christian because Paul writes to the Romans in Romans 12 and he tells them to practice hospitality. So his domestic qualities, a stable marriage, a disciplined family, an open home. So his uh, public reputation above reproach, his domestic qualities. And the third thing 
I want you to notice from verses 7 and 8 are uh, his personal character. A man's personal behaviour patterns provide the third qualification for eldership. Now, excluding hospitality, Paul lists 10 qualities that are to be manifested in the elder's character. There are five negative and five positive. Let's consider the negative ones first. Look at verse 7 there uh, with me. For an overseer as God's steward uh, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. These five negatives have to do with uh, five areas of strong temptation, pride, tempta- uh, temper, drink, power and money. The principle now is not if a, 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 an elder cannot manage his own family, how can he manage the church? But if he cannot manage himself, how can he manage the church? Let's just quickly run through those negatives. The first one is arrogant. Uh, the authorised version says not self-willed. It means stubborn or cocky. Leadership can bring prestige and power and elders may be tempted to use that to get their own way, to pander to their own vanity or to lord it over the flock. They can be uh, autocratic and headstrong. The elder must be a humble man who's not too proud to wrap a towel around his waist and to wash some feet. Secondly, not quick-tempered. The authorised version says, soon angry. That word does not refer to occasional outbursts, but to a propensity to anger. He is not to have a triggered temper or a short fuse. Sometimes Christians in churches, believe it or not, can be demanding and difficult. But the Lord's servant, As Paul reminded Timothy, must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong. 2 Timothy 2, 26. So not arrogant, not uh, quick-tempered, or a a drunkard. This word used by Paul means to be continually alongside wine or to be in the presence of wine. In other words, he is not to have a reputation as a drinker, as someone who is fond of a jar, who likes his liquor. Um, He is to be temperate. And I suppose in days when there are many mind-altering substances, we, we could say that he is not to be addicted to weed, speed or alcohol. So not arrogant, quick tempered, a drunkard, and then uh, not violent, no striker, says the authorised version. First Timothy 3 adds the word gentle, not violent, but gentle. In New Testament times, it wasn't uncommon for grown men to settle disputes with fights. That has no place in the Christian church. True spiritual authority has nothing to do with a clenched fist, with fear, intimidation, with white knuckles. I have a friend who uh, was struck by an elder uh, who stepped out of the pew into the aisle while he was coming uh, down from the pulpit after preaching. That man should never have been an elder. So here are the negatives for eldership. Not arrogant, not quick-tempered, not a drunkard, not violent, 
And then lastly, not greedy for gain. The NIV says not pursuing dishonest gain. Uh, I love the, uh, the way the authorised uh, version puts that. Not given to filthy lucre. The sinister nature of that vice is captured in the very sound of the words. Not given to filthy lucre. Paul is speaking of someone who seeks financial prosperity at all costs. Paul in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 5 speaks of men who use godliness as a means to financial gain. You know the religious charlatans who speak more of the collection than they do of Christ. They speak more of money than mercy. They speak more of giving than grace. We only have to think of the lavish lifestyle of some of these televangelists to see and to understand what Paul has in mind. People in it for the money. So negatively then, the elder must not be arrogant, quick-tempered, a drunkard, violent or greedy for gain. Now on the other hand, what an elder should be positively is given to us in verse 8. Let's just read verse 8. But hospitable a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Now, we have already looked at hospitality, and if you leave hospitality off, there are five positive qualities. He uh, is a lover of good. This is an indication of his moral character, not just a lover of good men, as the authorised version has it, but a, a lover of all that is good, morally upright, good people, good books, good TV programmes, good works, good music, good culture. He loves that which is morally clean, a lover of good, self-controlled. The authorised version says sober. The word means to be sober-minded, to be level-headed, to be objective, and sensible. In fact, that's the way the New American Standard Bible uh, translates it. Sensible. One, uh, uh, one commentator translates it as serious-minded. You know, this tendency to trivialize things, to make light of things, to make light of the things of God, that the things of God are simply one big joke. Giddy. Giddiness. That's what's being uh, forbidden here. An elder must take seriously the things of God. So a lover of good, uh, self-controlled, and thirdly, upright. That word means straight, fair, impartial in his dealings with other people. Then holy. That word uh, isn't the usual word for holy, but it has to do with um, how we devote ourselves to the things of God. One a version translates it as pious. It's our duty to God. It's, it's our devotion that we're committed and dedicated to the cause of Christ, to the work of Christ, to the gospel of Christ, that that has a priority in our lives. And the last word there is uh, self-controlled or uh, disciplined or temperate. In other words, someone who is in control of his passions and his appetites and his actions. Here are the necessary qualities for an elder in God's church. Negatively, that they're not arrogant, quick-tempered, uh, given to drunkenness, uh, violent, not uh, greedy for gain. Positively, 
a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. Now, every Christian ought to be like this, but the elder must be like this. If we were trying to summarize these qualities in two or three words, we could say he must be self-controlled. He's able to control his own appetites, attitudes and actions. Godly, that he lives a, a consistent, godly life. Wise, level-headed and sensible. My high churches then have moved from this. Churches will call a pastor because of his personality. Our pastor's a great laugh. I don't want a pastor who can make me laugh. I want a pastor who makes me long for Christ. They will call him on, on his appearance. He doesn't dress like a pastor. He doesn't look like a pastor, they say. I know one church that uh, rejected the call to a particular man because he was too small. But I, I don't want a pastor that looks like a pastor. I want a pastor that looks like Christ, an elder that looks like Christ because of his academic qualifications. Well, well I believe passionately that particularly pastors ought to be well-trained, that in going to college they lay a foundation for, mutual, uh, for future ministry that is invaluable. But that's not the essential qualification. The essential qualification is that they, he knows Christ. An elder must know Christ. I heard uh, another member of a church saying, our pastor's great, he can sing. I don't want a pastor that can sing, although that might be helpful at times. I wish I could sing. But I want a pastor that can preach because that's his primary function and his primary calling. So his personal character, self-control, godly and wise. His public reputation, his domestic qualities, his personal character. And then his, fourthly, his doctrinal ability. The last essential qualification for eldership concerns his teaching gift. Look at verse 9. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Here Paul speaks of the elder's grasp of doctrine and his use of doctrine. First of all, his grasp of doctrine. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. He is to hold uh, firmly to the trustworthy word as it has been taught. Titus had been instructed and grounded and he had instructed and grounded others and when an elder is appointed he must be one who holds to the trustworthy word. In other words they had to be doctrinally aware, doctrinally informed, uh, doctrinally convinced and doctrinally persuaded that doctrine is the A key to the spiritual health of the church, that they cling, they grasp, they hold to the trustworthy message, the trustworthy word as taught. So the elder will be persuaded of the importance of doctrine and the importance of having a knowledge of doctrine. So he must have a, a grasp of doctrine. And secondly, 
He must be able to use that doctrine. Look at verse 9 again. So that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. There are many people who are well-informed doctrinally, but they can't communicate it. They can't share that truth with others. Paul tells us that uh, an elder must be able to teach that to others. Now, he said last week that that doesn't necessarily mean that he has to have an ability to preach or a gift to preach. There are those, as we noticed in 1 Timothy 5, that who, whose specific job is to labour in word and doctrine, that uh, Christ, the ascended Christ, has given the gift of the pastor-teacher to the church. But all elders are required at a minimum to instruct and teach sound doctrine one-to-one. -one. Paul puts it positively and negatively, positively so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and then secondly rebuke those who contradict it. He must be doctrinally informed and he must be able to use that doctrine to encourage and rebuke or encourage and refute. Calvin puts it like this, a pastor needs two voices, one for gathering the sheep and the other for driving away the wolves. His doctrinal understanding must be uh, used in two ways. First of all, to uh, give instruction. The NIV says to encourage. The authorised version says exhort. It literally means to call alongside. It's the word that's used of the Holy Spirit, which describes him as parakletos, where Jesus said, I will send the another helper or another comforter, one who comes alongside to encourage. So an elder must know his doctrine, but he is able to come along and share that doctrine in order to strengthen and help those in need. When uh, a partner is suddenly removed, and uh, the one that's left is in despair that he can come alongside and put his arm around that person and not only sympathize with them, but en encourage them, give them instruction from the word of God. When someone is struggling through the darkness of depression, that they can take them out for a coffee and, and speak to them and assure them, reassure them that even in the darkness that God is there. When children are rebellious and breaking parents' hearts, that he can encourage with the doctrine, that he can encourage them to hold on and trust God. So that's the first thing. He must be able to give instruction. He must be able to encourage. He must be able to exhort. He must be able to come alongside like the Holy Spirit and be the paracletos, be the comforter to those who are in need. And secondly, he must be able to rebuke those who contradict it. Satan will seek to toss the church about by every wind of doctrine. As we have already noticed, he will send wolves into the flock and seek to wreak havoc among them. And the elder must be able to bring the word of God and protect the church of God by sound doctrine. Now, when people come in teaching things that they ought not to teach, bringing heresy and, 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 and untruth 
into the congregation, that the elder is able to, through his knowledge of doctrine, to stand firm and refute or rebuke those who are bringing that poison into the church. These qualities are required for um, elders. An elder must be. But every Christian should be like that. Every Christian should have a, a knowledge of sound doctrine. Don't let the devil tell you that doctrine is dry. Doctrine is dusty. Doctrine is divisive. Doctrine is is vital to the health of the church. And so that your knowledge of doctrine and your understanding of doctrine and your growth in doctrine becomes a blessing to other people so that when people are in need, you're able to go in and bring a word of instruction, bring uh, an encouragement that you're the one who comforts and comes alongside. And also then, that uh, when people come and say things that they ought not to say and teach what they ought not to teach, that you're able to say, well, that's not what our church believes. That's not in accordance with the word of God. That's not the doctrine that has been uh, led in my life. So here then are the qualifications for eldership, but qualities that should be found in every Christian. His public reputation. He must be above reproach. His domestic qualities, he must have a stable marriage, disciplined children, an open home, one who has an affection for strangers, one who practices hospitality. His personal character, self-control, godly and wise. His teaching ability, he must know his doctrine and he must be able to use his doctrine. He must be able to encourage and he must be able to rebuke. May God help us as a church to have an eldership uh, that matches up to the standards that God himself has set forth in his word. Amen.